Okay, people, it is part two of this week's Echo Chamber. And, yo, this, oh, this was fun, right? So, um, yeah, the other week, last week, right, we took, take, we took a look at that um, new British crime film, Bluff. Well, today we had the pleasure of speaking to its director and writer, first time feature director, right? Sheik Shanawaza. So, um, yeah, it, it was great, great conversation. Man, a lot of, I, I feel, information of first time directors will find that useful, right? So, um, people, that's what we're going to do. But there's a little bit of information that, you know, you should check before we get into that. All right, so buckle up. Let's get it popping. Okay, people, if you like a film festival, then this is something that could very well pique your interest, okay? Because Odyssey, a Chinese cinema season, is launching in the UK this May. Collaborating with Picturehouse Cinemas, the Prince Charles Cinema, and Shift 72 for your online streaming, the festival will create a hybrid experience to reach as many attendees as possible across the UK and worldwide. Named after one of the most significant works of the Western canon, Odyssey aims to offer an exciting and mysterious journey through the contemporary cino cinematic world. Odyssey strives to empower the shared appreciation of cinema, drive inclusiveness in the film industry, and facilitate cross-cultural communication. The festival will not only introduce the latest young Chinese film talents, to the UK audience, but also host panels with industry experts, scholars, and filmmakers to boost creativity and exchange ideas. The curation of Odyssey revolves around diverse themes and genres. The screenings range from short films and features to new moving images by contemporary Chinese artists demonstrating a pioneering and artistic spirit. Short film programs like Shanghai Animation Film Studio Retro attempt to break the boundaries between narrative and aesthetics and reimagine cinematography and visual art dimensions. In the feature film section, topics like Women Through Lens and Chinese regional cinema showcase the dynamics of Chinese society, culture, and aesthetics. All screenings will include a series of Q&As prepared by the curation team and special guests, including filmmakers, academics, curators, and critics. Industry-focused panels were the festival's highlights last year, which have attracted over 500 participants. Now in its second year, rebranded Odyssey has prepared another 10 new industry topics from global, global sustainability to new business models, from co-production to distribution, from regional cinemas to female film programmers. All subjects are the leading visions and will help explore film-related collaborations between UK and Greater China. The opening film screening event will be hosted in person by the Picturehouse Cinemas in London and Edinburgh on the 10th of May with a reception. The festival program will bring about a whole month of Chinese cinema from the 10th of May to the 10th of June 2022, with more than 60 films in eight curated sections, 10 panel discussions and Q&A sessions. Outstanding, innovative and inspiring. These films promise to add some sparkle to 2022. 
most of the programme will be available online for all audiences across the country. And several prop-up special cinema screenings will come up throughout the festival. The online festival platform of Odyssey will be powered by Shift72, a leading streaming technology that has been used by renowned international festivals such as Cannes and Toronto. Okay, so our film program, right? A little bit of overview. The opening film will be Hard Love. This is a UK premiere. The opening film, Hard Love, centers on the wave of single girls. It discusses social hotspots like love, marriage, family, work, and childbirth, which today's youth are most concerned about, spanning eight cities, including Shanghai, Beijing, Xi'an, San Francisco, and Phuquai Island. This documentary offers a group portrait of Chinese single women within a de delicately designed 97 minutes. Modern single women are also a heated topic for young people in the UK. Based on this mutual concern, this opening film shall go beyond the national boundary and bring audiences together. So that will be playing at 7.30 on the 10th at Picture House Fulham. Okay, so you've got pop-up special cinemas. Um, with these, we'll have films like Lan Yu, a classic that has come through the decades of critics. Lan Yu is one of the best gay films that China has ever produced. The film is not driven by homosexuality. It is a story about love. Its storytelling captures the arc of two souls and the vicissitude of Beijing over a decade. This 20th anniversary 4K restoration version brings its 90s tonality to life to the fullest. That will be playing on the 12th at the Prince Charles Cinema. Uh, then there's River of Salvation. This is a UK premiere. First's favourite uh, River of Salvation unfolds a down-to-earth portrait of life in a small town in southern China with a meticulous, meticulous narrative. Narrative structure and its last six minutes reversal, the script draws enormous emotional power from the deeply buried history of millions of ordinary women and their everyday struggles. This plays on the 17th of May, 7.30 at Picture House, Finchery Park. There's going to be some short films playing, such as Neo Horizon. Right, the festival has curated this screening and award category called Near Horizon. The audience award, our audience will have the opportunity to review and select films which will be nominated for this award. The curation team of Odyssey have selected six outstanding short films from all 123 submissions for this award. These refreshing and reflective films explore a vast range of critical issues facing our society today and transport viewers explore the unique relationship between place, city and an individual in a mysterious cinematic world. Right, there's an exploration. This section consists of 29 award-winning short films, highlights the different genres, themes, and aesthetics of 20th century China's cinema. Ranging from atmospheric shorts to incisive documentaries, this section begins with a slice of contemporary Chinese sci-fi before delving into musical productions in inventive animations, and the comedy drama 
dramas about cross-cultural misunderstandings. The section features a schoolgirl with a genius IQ, a drummer who finds inspiration in an ancient bathhouse, and a hard-of-hearing boy desperate to pursue his dancing dreams. The directors defy tackle, definitely tackle serious social issues, including sex trafficking and the SARS outbreak, alongside subtle character studies. There's the Galaxy Artist's Moving Image. This is a must-watch experimental film program spotlighting innovations in the moving image, breaking the boundaries between film, text, and art creation. These films roam in their own artistic galaxy and are all the cutting edge of Chinese experimental cinemas. The abstract concepts that drive the galaxy are no less exciting as the creators channel questions of cognition and perception through images of war, blindness, and light itself. These selected moving images represent the thrilling point of which film and visual art meet, creating a groundbreaking medium for euphorical expression. And then there will be Shanghai Animation Film Studio Retro. This retrospective program is in itself second edition, supported by Shanghai Animation Film Studio. This section will be screened online from the 20th to the 26th of May. By looking back at classic Chinese animation, such as Little Carp Jumps Over the Dragon Gate, and the little stream from the 1960s, Nine Colored Deer and the Dev Deer's Bell from the 1980s, now in 2K restoration. This section offers UK audiences the opportunity to enjoy animated films in different eras and art styles while learning about the history of Chinese animation. There will also be um, feature films on uh, online. So the emerging waves. Right, this section pays special attention to the new generations of independent art house and documentary productions from the 12th of May to the 19th of May. Six innovative and inspiring films will be shown in this section in offline and online formats. Lan Yu 4K Restoration, which is one of the best gay films that China have ever produced, will be shown on the 12th of May. Another award-winning title, River of Salvation, will be shown on the 14th. Apart from these special offline screenings, four additional films will be shown online via Shift 72, from the 13th of May, Being Mortal reproduces the bitterness of life by depicting an Alzheimer's patient's family. The fourth wall creatively uses the parallel universe as a narrative technique to discuss how to reconcile which family with family, society, and ourselves. Black Tide Coast follows a poetic style aiming to depict abstract emotions, ideas, and feelings beyond the control of images. And the arc utilizes documentary images to recall the complicated relationships between individuals and society, science, and religion. Women Through the Lens, this section focuses on women's life experiences, which will be screened online from the 27th of May to the 2nd of June. This section currently consists of seven films. Wind expresses the plight of single mothers and daughters from ethnic minorities in a patriarchal society. Lum Conquers All shows an ambivalent, intimate relationship 
that can conquer as well destroy everything. Springtide portrays a mother-daughter relationship of two generations in which both warmth and comf confirmation are intertwined. One summer, through the eyes of the protagonists, to reflect many social issues arising in China today, including marriage, education, urban development, and a political system. And finally, Chang Yi draws on the classic Chinese myth of Chang's, Chang Yi running to the moon to create an iconic and compassionate mirror metaphor between the unearthly fairy and the exhausted 55-year-old factory worker. Only You Alone takes us on a journey through the struggles of a young girl with epilepsy, trying to realize her dream of dancing. We are also honored to have Ji Fei's Girl from Human with us, which is a pioneering work from the 1980s that reflects on on and critiques the tragic situation of women trapped in feudal traditional marriages. So, people, as you can see, there is a lot happening. But, as mentioned, there are also discussion panels. So, the panel one, Twin Flame, the reception of British cinema among a Chinese audience. Um, panel two, virtual production and potential impact on film co-production. Uh, panel three, women's practice in the contemporary Chinese film industry, female film programmers on the rise. Panel four, potentials and obstacles for British cinema showcase in China. Panel five, Chinese original cinema. Panel six, global sustainability as a storytelling strategy for non-Hollywood films. Panel seven, future development of Chinese animation industry and international collaboration. Panel eight, an investigation into current press coverages of Chinese language films in the UK. Panel nine, New business ideas and models for UK-China film collaborations. And panel 10, new distribution strategies for Chinese films in the UK. So, there is a lot going down at Odyssey, people. And it all starts on the 10th of May. So, this isn't one to be missed, right? Now... We've got all the links and information in the episode in info, you know, as we do. So make sure you go check it out because, you know, do you really want to miss a month-long extravaganza like Odyssey? Okay, people, so... Hope you found that information useful. Definitely go check out those, right? But now, as promised, we speak with Shake Shanawaza. Oh, man, I butcher his name so much in this. Apologies, Shake. All right, let's go. Okay, people. So I am joined by Shake. Shanawas, the writer, director, producer, cinematographer. He wears all the hats, right? He he brought us bluff. We talked about it last week. And yeah, he's blessed us with his presence today. Shay, thank you, Matt. Appreciate you stopping by. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. So um, yeah, like with this film, you did everything. You did everything. It's a limited budget, and like for you, what was the what was the thing, right? Because they're big hurdles, 
right? Not having those technical skills people in those other positions and, you know, limited funds, that's, that's a hurdle a lot of people go nah to. So what was the thing that was like, you know what, I'm going to make this film? Uh, well, I've always uh, wanted to be, be a filmmaker since around two, around my second year of university when I watched uh, Wolf of Wall Street and then immediately after I watched uh, Goodfellas. And I realized, oh, so this is what a director does. Because I've always watched movies. I've always enjoyed movies. But mm. it's from watching those two films back to back, I realized, oh, this is what a director does. This is what I want to do. This, these are the kind of films I want to make. Like These films are solely um, Martin Scorsese's. And I want to make films that are solely Sheikh Shah Nawaz. Um, and, you know, from there, I started researching how to become a film director, what a film director does. Um, other 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 film directors like Stanley Kubrick, um, Christopher Nolan, how they got into the business, and I discovered that um, their first films, their micro-budget films that they essentially made on their own or with their friends or over weekends for a very limited budget. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was one one probably one of the first ever micro-budget films, his first two films, and I thought this is a filmmaker that's gone on to become an absolute legend in Hollywood. You know, he's made these huge scale films, uh, had complete creative control over his films. And his kind, his career is the kind of career I want for myself. And I thought, you know, if he can make a film, his first film with whatever money around him, borrowed, begged, borrowed um, from his from his family, you know, why can't I do the same? And, um, you know, same with Christopher Nolan. He made his first film following for six thousand uh, dollars with his friends over weekends. Um, over the course of a year and I figured we live in a well I live in a time where um, film technology allows you digital technology allows you to film uh, film things very cheaply or for free you know you're not having to spend mm-hmm. money on expensive film stuff like these filmmakers had to so you know there was no excuse for me to want to be a filmmaker I, just, I went out there I made a film and I feel like uh, anyone can uh, there's enough resources available online learn all the technical aspects you know we live in an age of you know free-flowing information now people have to spend money on expensive university degrees to learn all this information and now you can learn everything from a youtube video so there is no excuse today yeah hey very you know it's very true right that one of the first people i remember hearing making something on just like normal kind of tech was Gareth Edwards with his film yeah. Monsters. Yeah. yeah. And I love Monsters, such a great freaking film. You know, so he edited, like, you know, he did the visual effects from his bedroom. Yeah. From his hotel bedroom. Yeah. He did the visual effects. And this is back in the days. So you know those computers were that were, probably weren't even that powerful. Uh, so we have computers that are maybe ten times more powerful now. So there's nothing stuck a filmmaker today making something like Monster with even better visual effects. Well, I mean, you could probably do it on your phone now. You know, I mean, that's how crazy it's got. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think it's a good attitude to have that, you know, I'm not going to wait for someone to give me this. I'm going to go get me some. So, man, that was huge, right? So you got the gumption. Where does the story come from, Shane? The story? So um, I just came off of um, 2018, which I spent making a short film every year. I'm sorry, every month. Mm-hmm. For, that, for the whole of 2018. So I had like uh, all these short films that I made with no crew and no budget as practice for, for my writing. Because uh, and when, it, when we came into 2019, I felt like I was ready to finally write a, write a feature film because uh, I tried to write one in 2017. It kind of, it flopped. It flopped, to be honest, because I just didn't have the skills at the time. Yeah. So in 2019, I was looking for a subject matter, um, a genre that, would play into my wheelhouse and also um, I could I could work with um, with my limitations because I knew I was going to make this film you know on a limited budget uh, locations that I could probably get access for free or um, you know friends and uh, sorry businesses and homes of friends and family and so I kind of had to find a story world that I could sort of film in my backyard and then I discovered this the this book it's a memoir of this undercover cop who operated in the Midlands as an undercover heroin addict. 
um, and he took down some not notable gangs in the in the region. Um, and then I thought this is perfect because I've noticed a rise in homelessness and drug dealing and drug abuse in my home city of Birmingham. Mm. And and it's so easy to walk by these guys, uh, walk past these guys. And then one day I just sort of stopped and asked this person, um, you know, uh, tell me your story. And he, he told me the story. He used to be uh, this. He used to be a good-looking lad, bit of a player. And then some girl introduced him to heroin. And now, you know, his life kind of spiraled out of control and he's on the streets. And I thought, this is crazy. Like, this is, a, this is happening in my backyard. I'm looking for a film to make. So I kind of set it around this world of undercover policing and, you know, uh, heroin addiction, homelessness, uh, drug abuse, drug dealing, the war on drugs in the UK. And it played right into my limitations as well in terms of locations I could film in. Um, uh, and I and I wrote the story around actors that I've worked with on my short films. Yeah. So we all there's already a shorthand there, uh, um, a relationship there. So I can I can uh, I wrote the story around those actors. Okay. And how did you give yourself that education on drugs? Right. Because I mean, we've all seen those films that touch on subjects, and you're like. That's not what you do. Like, do you, what, what happened? And it's clear, no, they haven't looked too deep into the subject itself. So how did you ensure to give yourself, you know, that understanding? So as soon as I find a, found the top, topic and subject matter, I did as much research as I could online, read as many books as I could um, uh, on the topic. And then I started uh, going out for, for firsthand um, information. So... I was talking to actual heroin addicts. I, you know, I'm from the ghetto. I'm from the inner city of Birmingham. So it wasn't too hard to find a drug dealer to to, to spend the day with. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, uh, so I spent some time with actual drug dealers, learning about uh, the world of this world, this uh, underworld. And same with uh, learning about what it's like being a heroin addict, a homeless heroin addict on the streets uh, of Birmingham. And that's what I did for research to kind of learn all the ins and outs of, of the world. Uh, because, uh, you know, you watch a lot of movies and they're playing to cliche. Um, mm. And I knew the thing that was going to make this film stand out was the authenticity to the subject matter. So the way he a heroin addict, how would they order drugs from a dealer? They won't say, oh, can I have one crack and heroin, please? Of course not. They're gonna, there's going to be keywords. There's going to be yeah. um, uh, a, a, a specific sort of language um a colloquial language so they wouldn't refer to it as drugs they'll refer to it as gear or something something like food they might refer to or even when they order uh drugs they'll specifically say the quantity that they want but they won't say can I have uh one crack one heroin they'll be like can I have a four two which means um you know uh 0 0.4 grams of heroin and 0 0.4 grams of crack cocaine you know, mm. usually heroin and crack cocaine goes goes hand in hand. So that's something I learned while doing my research. Because some people, I mean, some people just have one or the other, but a lot of people get both because when they're on heroin, the drug dealer, uh, sorry, the drug addicts told me they use heroin to get on a low, but when they get too too low, they use crack um, to get back up as an upper. Yeah. So this yeah. is all stuff I learned uh, all the nuances of that world and put them in my film, put all that research in into my screenplay. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting touch because, yeah, I hadn't come across that. But then the explanation you get, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. But yeah, th this was the first place where I've come across that aspect of it. And so that was very Top, Top, Boy, Top Boy did pretty well on covering the subject matter, the, uh, the TV show. Okay. Yeah, they did pretty well. Yeah, I, I've, I've never dipped into um, Top Boy, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of TV, but um, from what, from the bits that I've seen, uh, Top Boy did it pretty well in in covering in because there's a a, U, a UK way of covering of doing yeah. things, and they did it pretty authentic to uh, to the location. Because mm. yeah, that that that's a very good point, right? Because we have things like The Wire, but mm. that's not how it goes down here. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, there's a different nuance to it all. I Now, I ain't fucked around with, uh, you know what I mean, H or anything like that. You know, a little wee back in the day. But it was, a, it was a, you know, it's different. It, it's 
different the way we do shit here. So I thought you that you brought that to life very well, right? It, it was um yeah a little unique kind of thing, and I think this is the thing, right? Because you know you've said look, Scorsese, you, you like a little Scorsese, you know these, these he did the same thing with Mean mm-hmm. Streets. He wrote he. He, mean Streets was based on the life around him, the the way um, Italians, uh, the, the Italian mobs, the the not the top guys, the foot soldiers. Yeah. It's how they lived in 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 the Bronx uh, around him, and he wrote, he made and wrote win, uh, Mean Streets to what was what was happening around him, his his real life. You know, he he she showed an authentic way these people were living. Mm, mm. Yeah. No. Definitely. So. With these influences that you have, right? How do you kind of key into Shaq's voice, right? I, like, where? How do you know what that is when you're making, you know, your shorts and now your feature? So, what do you mean exactly? Uh, how do right. I go into because, voice? right? So, I think early on, whether it's films, music, comedy, we always take influence from the people we look up to, the people we ad- admire, right? And then as you go, you then, you realize what you're doing and then you kind of establish your own voice. But okay. you know what I mean? Because this is your first feature. How did you kind of, was there a conscious effort to be like, no, 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 that's too Scorsese. No, I want this to be more like me. Well, you know, when you're starting out as an artist, you obviously mimic the people you're inspired by. So my earlier short films, they were clearly like rip-off of like the Saw franchise or or like um, uh, uh, Saw, what else is there, Seven. So they were clearly just like, I was trying to rep, uh, mimic the filmmakers that inspired me. And when you make enough of them, eventually you start developing your own voice naturally. like. Oh, these are the things that I like. Oh, these are the things I I want to um, make a film about. And naturally, by the t- so w- when I was saying earlier, I tried to make a a, f- a write a feature film in 2017, and it flopped because it was just it was just you know I was just trying to rip off other films that I've seen. You know, a serial killer or or, or a detective. It's just the, I played I played it too safe. I was yeah. I wasn't doing anything unique. Uh, I didn't, it's because I wasn't old enough, I wasn't mature enough yet, and I didn't have enough knowledge. So as you get older, you, you know, you have more experiences in life, you develop as an artist just by practicing your craft. So by the time it came to 2019, when I was writing my feature, you know, I don't think about my, I don't think about the influences anymore. I'm, I just focus on the story that I want to tell. Um, all those influences and, and other films that, that I've enjoyed, they, in my subconscious, I'm not thinking about them consciously. I'm just focused on, um, my story. I'm not thinking about my style, or if, that, if I do even have a style. I just, what I just make the film that I want to make. I okay. I just write. I just write what I want to write. Yeah, yeah. So, giving yourself that that task of a film every month, the year before, was really a, a the perfect breeding ground to discover who you were, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. And so, what was the thing that gave you that idea? To make a short film a month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, when I was studying in university, I made two short films that went on to uh, garner two million views on YouTube. So that was 2015 and 2016. And for the whole of 2017, I was always obsessed with the idea of making a feature, a micro-budget feature film like these filmmakers I admire, like Christopher Nolan and Stanley Kubrick. But I just couldn't get around to it. You know, mm. much, yeah, as an artist, you have self-doubt. You're not in the best place in life. I was quite young. I wasn't in the best financial position. I was just focused on making money. And I think a year went by. I was let go from my job. And I thought, I've just wasted a year of my life. I didn't make one one film um, for 2017. So for 2018, you know what? I'm just going to make a short film a month. I don't care how I do. I'm just going to do it. I, was, I contacted the only two actors I knew at the time. I said, yo, I'm going to write a film like you, um, with you guys as the lead. I went, um, uh, you know, do it for free because it'll be for your show reel and go on YouTube. I'm not making any money off it. But if you're free for a day, I'll write the story around you guys. I'll film it all in one day and we'll release it that same week. And I did that in January 2018. And I kept doing that every month for the whole of 2018. And naturally, you know, I grew my network. I 
um, I refined my production process. I uh, developed as an artist. I was collab. I was um, uh, connecting with other other filmmakers and other actors. And this, and then by the end of 2018, when I made my last short film, Trick, uh, I felt like I finally honed my my voice. Mm. Um, I felt like you know I don't want to make any more short films. I think I'm ready for my feature film. Yeah. Okay. So. I mean, it, 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 was, it was training ground, it was, a, it was a boot camp for my feature film because I thought, if I can't even make a short film a month with no budget and no crew, how am I supposed to make a feature film? Yeah. Um, and I thought the short films were hard, genuinely. I was like, uh, some, some months I was ripping my hair off, trying to think of an idea. And then when it came to making a feature film, it was 10 times as hard. Um, the short films were, were actually a breeze now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always challenging myself. I'll, uh, it's because look, I'm a look. I'm brown. I'm a, I'm from Birmingham. You know, I, I don't get. I'm from the ghetto. I'm from the inner city. I'm, uh, people aren't like queuing up to give me opportunities. So I make opportunities for myself. I don't wait around on other people. Um, and I feel like it's, it's especially as a as a filmmaker today, you have to, you have to be willing to do things that other other people aren't willing to do, so you can stand out. Well, that I think that's a big thing, right? If you're not prepared to take a risk on yourself, why should someone take that risk on you? You know what I mean? Exactly. That, that's always the way I, I kind of look at these things. And yeah, no, I will say, you know what I mean? That training ground you gave yourself, it paid off because watching Bluff, it, like, it doesn't feel like a low-budget film. You know what I mean? It feels very slick. You know what I mean? You put it together very nicely, right? What was, um, all right, before I get to that, let me ask you, with, you know, this whole training you were giving yourself, learning the different elements of filmmaking, what was the hardest one for you to kind of grasp? Hmm. Uh, I think I was, I wasn't, I was tested quite a bit while making the film, but there was always solutions I could come up with when days were tough. I think I was, the real test came after I finished the film. You know, I thought all I have to do is make a good film and people will find me. I'll have, you know, agents and producers lining up to, to uh, talk with me. That wasn't the case. Um, I submitted all these film festivals, got rejected by all of them. And, yeah. and and I, there was a lot of self-doubt at this point because I was thinking, you know, I, I made the film I wanted to make. I'm quite, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And the fact that, and I believe the film is fantastic. And the fact that all these people in the industry were ignoring me um, and being rejected by all these festivals, it was, it was a hard lesson for me to swallow because I realized, you know, as sad as it is, it's not always about the film. These days, it really is who you know, um, you know, what connections you have, what uh, privilege you have in life. And I didn't, I, I'm, not that, I'm not very privileged in the sense that, you know, I come from a rich family or, uh, or I was born in the industry, you know, with, with uh, cousins and, or family members or friends who worked in the industry. Um, so I didn't have those connections. And I realized that I have to work 10 times as harder than my non you know, BAME counterparts. And that's, that's the path I've chosen. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to give up, obviously. But it, it, it was a bit of a wake-up call that I thought just making a good, making a fantastic film would be enough. Mm, yeah. mm. But here's the thing, though, right? That part might have been tough, but the fact that, you know, the year before, you did 12 films, right? That you, you took every element of the film on your own shoulders to do. You know what I mean? That you thought of, that you, you came up with this story, right? There's a lot of people that have all the resources in the world, but can't, you know what I mean? Paste the story together, right? And you managed to do that. So it's like, that's big, son. That's I thought that, I, it's impressive, right? And I, that's why I was so flabbergasted when no one cared in the industry. It's like, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't understand why no one cares. <laughs> but luckily, you know what? Putting the industry aside, um, uh, putting the film out there and connecting with an audience and hearing, getting the, hearing, seeing the reviews, um, 
uh, people commenting, telling me what they thought of the film. That's what it means to be a filmmaker. I didn't make I didn't make this movie to to be rich and famous. I made this film because uh, it's a story I wanted to tell, and I wanted an audience to watch it. You don't make films just for yourself. You want to share your art. And the mm. fact that my art is being shared right now, like strangers are finding it from all over the world. I had um, a Pakistani brother from New York find my film from Reddit and he rented the film with that same hour and then DM'd me. See. You know, a complete stranger. I have no connection to this mm. guy, but he found me and told me what he thought about the film. And then there was another woman. She, uh, she told me she, it made her cry because she lost her son-in-law to um, heroin addiction. The fact that I could connect with audiences like that and such a wide breadth of audiences. You've got older women, you know, older white women. You've got a young Pakistani dude from New York. Like, that, the fact that I can connect with these people and my film touches them, that's, that's the thing that's given me a bit, given me true joy. That's cool, man. Because, yeah, drugs, man, drugs don't care what color your skin is. You know what I mean? They, they, they will come to everyone. Well, if you can afford them, right? <laughs> that, that's the thing. So we, we, you decided to do this film. Now, the film jumps around different time frames, right? So with the non-linear fashion of the storytelling, like, did, was that something that came to you straight away? Or was that later on in production that you thought, actually, you know what? I feel this is a perfect way to tell it. Um, so when I was conceptualizing the story, um, I've always been a fan of non-linear films, especially because I'm a fan of like film noir and they do that, um, th that genre plays around with time a lot. Um, even films, uh, other filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs, um, Nolan with Memento with the backward structure, yeah. um, Pulp Fiction. So I knew the genre of the film that I was telling, I could make it non-linear if I wanted to, but I didn't want to make it non-linear for the sake sake of making it non-linear to stand out oh look at me mm -hmm. i can do all these fancy you know techniques um it wasn't until i figured out the twist of the film which was maybe like 25 percent way into my writing process i was like oh would it it'd be more interesting if i cut between these two timelines because i noticed when i was when i was conceptualizing the the arc of the story you know the main protagonist you know let's say you have an arc i realized his investigation has two arcs, there's an arc up to the, from the beginning to the halfway point, and then there's another arc, character arc, in the second half. So instead yeah. of showing the film as one arc, then another arc, why do I cut between the two arcs um, at the same time? And it, yeah, it, made, yeah. it made more sense, more, it made more sense structurally to, to do that, to keep audience engagement. And it, it plays into, you know, uh, conventional story structure, and it just made sense. So then I, it, the, the non-linear structure wasn't a gimmick anymore. Now I had a justification for why I'm telling the story in this, in this fashion. Um, so that came about maybe 30 or 40% into the writing process. Okay. Okay. Now, sometimes when we do the whole time frame jumping and all of that kind of thing, there's different devices people use. You know, sometimes there's a different grain of the film, you know, a different angle, right? A different film ratio. Um, you didn't do that, but it was still clear, I felt, what was going on. Right? I mean, if you pay attention, then you look at the characters, right? So was there at any time a fear that um, maybe I'll lose the audience here? There was, but then at the same time, I kind of thought, fuck it. <laughs> it has to be done. Um, but to be, no, no, but to be, to be fair... Uh, I, I I played into the language of cinema. I wasn't going to make them a confused because if I because as a filmmaker, if they're getting confused, I've done a bad job. So it was up to me as a filmmaker to figure out how can I keep people engaged and on track with what's happening in the story. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to do the typical. I thought the easiest way would be to um, the, well, the most conventional way a lesser filmmaker would have thought of was probably oh, let's just use a different color or film stock or something. And I thought that was a very cheap device to use. And I wanted to play into um, the fundamentals, which is mise-en-scene, the location, the, the costume, makeup, how does the character, character look? So 
let's say in one timeline he's wearing a he's wearing a different colored jacket and his hair's all messy and in another timeline you know he's more he's, he looks more slick his hair's mm. back, he's wearing a black jacket it looks more like a gangster so from in the beginning um when i i, I show snippets of it so from the opening sequence of the film audiences are immediately hopefully engaged where they're like how does he go from this junkie looking character to this clean gangster looking character so uh, it makes people want to watch the rest of the film and see how these two timelines connect so i used you know costume makeup and hair to to convey the um the change in in time period and i hope audiences were able to follow it and it seems like most of them have there are there are a odd few that um didn't get it but there's only so much you could do as a filmmaker <laughs> oh man like i i got what's going on the yeah. thing that got me Right, there was. I was just a bit like, Why's my man taking that shit? Like, if someone's talking to you like that, you know, you clap that motherfucker. Like, what is going on? And then we get the little towards the end, and it's like, Oh, shit. oh, nice. I like what you did there because you definitely threw me off, right? With some of the events going and t- the way people were talking to each other. And then we get the whole, I thought that was a little nice touch. Like, did you play around with that whole reveal, with that whole kind of sequence? Or Oh, what, the reveal, okay. Yeah, did it come yeah, to you yeah, straight yeah. away? Oh, okay, okay, okay. This, this, the, okay. I don't, so we're not doing any spoilers. But it's a spoiler yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. Try okay. to dance around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Okay, uh, okay. To, without spoiling things for audiences that haven't watched it, um, that twist you're referring to, it came to me, um, it might have come to me halfway through the writing, if I'm honest, because I didn't know um, that particular character was going to be such an important role in the film. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize this at halfway through writing, because as you're, as you're writing, you're learning more about the characters are speaking to you more. And mm. I'm naturally... This I learned enough about this character where I, I grew an affinity for for this character, and then then halfway through the writing I realized, oh, why if I did this, and then the whole story changed, and that also and it also worked with the whole um, structure, and I thought you know this is going to take the film to the to that other level that you know that great that that legendary level. I thought this is this is the thing that that will basically okay. You thought I was good. No, this is how good I am. Okay. Yeah. And I thought this is perfect. And I didn't want to just shoehorn it in. I wanted to show like there was a bit of ego to me. Where it's like, yo, like, right? I think there's I'm a, a, a little bit of okay. ego to you, Shank. Yeah. <laughs> I I never get. I want to show a little. I want to show yeah, this is how good I am. Because I was being, I was, I was so used to being ignored by everybody in the industry, ignored by talent agents, ignored by sales agents. Like, even then, I was like, I'm not going to let you define my worth. This is how good I am, and this is, I know my worth, and I want to show, I want to show that on the screen, on the page. Like, I'm not your average writer or director. Mm-hmm. Um, I put, I put too much, too much hours into my craft, you know, to be ignored. Um, to, to not be able to tell a story that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, nah, it, it definitely works. It definitely yeah. works. You, yeah, you, <laughs> oh, I, w- I was relieved because I was- Did you, see, that? Did you see it coming? By no. Time? You didn't no, see no, it coming? No, 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 okay. no. didn't see it coming. Like, because I think the thing is, you, you are very smart with the angles you used on some of the scenes. So we saw some of the stuff around certain incidents but we yeah. didn't see the full scene so yeah. you still didn't i did things to throw people off yeah I put things specifically in the seat in, in the scenes leading up to it to throw people off so mm. there are some people that are really clever like some of my uh, one or two of my friends that are really really clever uh, who watch a lot of films they did kind of see coming oh, oh, but they were too sure hold, hold on a second you just call me dumb shake no, 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 you no, just no. some people that are really good they got it. Let's offend you, Kevin. They're writers, so they could they could see the DNA as a writing because they're, they're they're writers themselves. And they because they're you know what I because they can tell when I'm throwing them off. 
because that's their job and as a writer they have to be able to figure out oh wait what what's actually at play here and so the ones that are writers they're really good writers they figured it out but like only one or two of them like mm. they're really talented okay. writers oh, oh, I was, okay. you, you which annoyed me a little back. to be honest yeah, yeah. you walked yourself back a bit yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's fine. But, I'll take the insult. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I might expect a role in your next film, though. You know <laughs> okay. <what I> mean? <laughs> okay. Well, definitely. <laughs> no, yeah. but yeah, I did not see it. Like, I saw the um, Sixth Sense thing. The Sixth Sense, yeah. the, the Sixth Sense, I kind of figured that out. But this one, didn't figure out. So... Yeah, I, I didn't figure the Sixth Sense out. I, 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 when I first watched Sixth Sense, I don't know, I watched it maybe when I was like 12. So I don't know how it was exposed for me, but I never figured Sixth Sense out. And I remember it was a mm. moment. And what I liked about the way Sixth Sense did it is when you find out the twist, it changes everything you watched up until yeah. that point. So when you watch it a second time, even though you know the twist, you really enjoy it. It makes you look at things a different way. So another thing with my film is I wanted to make sure that um, the twist and everything, like you could go back and watch it a second time and enjoy it um, again. And if anything, I enjoy it. I enjoy, I think this film is enjoyed more on multiple viewings, on the second or third viewing. Because now that you know the twist, you're looking out for all the clever things that I did and you're like, ah, oh, so that's what, that, that's why that happened. Oh, I can't believe I never saw it coming. And those are the kind of films that I enjoy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. It's definitely... Yeah, it, it definitely makes things intriguing. Definitely makes things intriguing. Now, with the end, right? Because not like the end, end, but I'm saying you give more of a... It's, it kind of ends with that commentary on drug culture. Mm. Right? Like, So why did you decide to do that rather than, you know what I mean, the character does this thing and then boom, we're done? It just felt natural to to um, the end of Miller's arc in the story um, that he would feel that way and he would say those things. Um, it just felt natural as a him as an undercover cop, having gone through what he does in the in the film, that he would think those things, and it just felt and it it felt like a powerful way to end the film um, with his final thoughts. And what he thinks about uh, his whole investigation and the war on drugs, and how he's how it's changed him as a person. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense, man. Um. So now it's out in. Well, firstly, how did you get the Amazon deal? That's oh, so there's this. Um, so there's this distributor, uh, um, Indie Rights, who I've who I've been following for many years um, from, the, from this podcast that I've been listening to, Indie Film Hustle by Alex Ferrari. Um, and she, well, they distribute uh, these low budget films and they get them on these platforms and they help generate revenue for the filmmakers. Um, so I'll always plan to use them for my, for my little film. And the deal that, they, that I have with them is very fair. You know, there's no upfront payment, but um, I get, they take a 20% cut of the revenue and I take mm -hmm. 8% and they get it on all these platforms. So in the UK, they mainly got it on Amazon, but they're getting it on all these other platforms around the world. So in America, we're available on Tubi, um, uh, Google, uh, Google Play, um, where you can watch a film in India and Australia and they're taking the film to Cannes next month. Well, right. actually, sorry, we're in May now, so this month. And hopefully they're going to be selling the rights to different territories and the film will be available in more countries uh, in the coming months. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, that does sound like a fair deal. Like, yeah, I mean, so as a filmmaker the, today, you can't just focus on the writing, directing, the, the filmmaking. You really have to focus on the film business. How, <clears> how, how, is, how much is your film going to cost? How are you going to get out there? How much revenue um, are you potentially going to make? How are you going to market your film? Marketing is probably just as important as making the film now. Um, I've, I've spent more marketing the film than I have actually making the film, believe it or not, because that's how important it is. Because no point making the film if nobody knows about it. And everyone and their mothers are making films these days. You know, you look, you go to some of these, you look at the, the program for some of these top festivals and you just think, I'm not going to be able to watch all these films. And 
a lot of these films may never ever find an audience. Yeah. But even though you're playing at Sundance or South by Southwest, you know, arguably the you know the biggest film festivals in the world, you could still be forgotten about. Um, and that's the scariest part about filmmaking. So what are you doing to get your film out there? How can you play to the film's strengths? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So, um, yeah, the film's out there. How's it, you know, the reception been for you, man? Really good. Um, um, it's, it makes me so happy because I've been working on this film since 2019, writing, um, put, making it, putting it together, showing it around. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a relief to finally, you know, show it to audiences and have them, have it available for them to watch. It's not just this thing that belongs to me any, uh, anymore. It, it, it's for everyone to enjoy. And uh, the reception has been very good. And a lot of people have gotten exactly what I was trying to do with the story. That's great, man. That, that, yeah. That's really good to hear. So I think, as I know, I'm going to have to let you go soon because, you know, we had the technical issues and <laughs> you, you, I think you, you're doing some state stuff. But um, yeah. big, I think the question everyone's wondering, what's next? Wait, like, are you cooking something up right now? Like, what's next, son? Um, so there's that I, I that film that flopped in 2017, the feature film idea that I wanted to to do my uh, initially for my first film, but I realized I didn't have the skills to pull it off yet, and I still didn't have the skills in 2019. So I'm working on my uh, the idea from 2017 for my for that feature film idea. And it might be a few years before um, it comes to life because I don't want to do it in this no micro budget way. I, you know, mm -hmm. ideally I'd want to, I want to do it in the States. I want to have some stars in it and I want to do okay. it properly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and uh, uh, of course, is it, this is going to be, you know what I mean? Like my little starring vehicle. That's right. Right. That, yeah. That's what yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You can have a little a cameo as a bartender like I did in Bluff. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, it's good that you, you know, what I mean, you've got something that you're planning, and you know, that's good because, yeah, you need this boom. This, I feel, you know, it's gonna really lay that foundation for you. Uh, I really hope so. Yeah, no, man, you know, it's definitely a solid, and it's the first, you know, being your first film, right? The fact that you've been able to create this, it's big, it's big, man. So, you know, what I mean, hey. I think the you know the sky's the limit. Now, how can people follow what you're doing? How can they see the film? Let them know your details, son. Okay, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at cineshake c i n e s h e i k h, or um, we have a uh, Instagram page for our film as well, Bluff Movie UK, all uh, one word, and we also have a website bluff-movie.com, and that's everything how you can find me and uh, learn more about the film and, and where you can watch it. Cool. Okay, people, the links will be in the episode details as usual to make sure you check out the film because you will not be disappointed, right? And, yeah, give Shake a follow, man. Definitely Thank you. That. <laughs> well, man, hey, I, I appreciate you stopping by. Um, I enjoy, because I do like, a, you know, an undercover film, like Deep Cover back in the day. In oh, you know, deep cover. Okay, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. What about Donnie Brasco? What do you think? What's your verdict on Donnie Brasco? I, I enjoyed Donnie Brasco, man. It, oh, okay. it took you through, yeah. you know what I mean, like, because he's a bit of a scumbag, but you, you yeah. definitely feel for the characters. And like, what about Serpico? Yeah, I mean, come on, that's just some classic. okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, these are a lot of the films I was inspired by as well, yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, so I like these covers. Not, these cover isn't one that people talk about a lot for whatever reason, I don't know why. I, I don't know, it's such a good film, yeah, it's a good film, such yeah. a good, and in too deep, man. In too deep, yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of that, you know. What I mean, so yeah, yeah I, I think certain, I think it was you know, deep covers what, 80s. Eight, yeah, yeah. eighties in too deep was nineties. I, I think people just forget about them, you know. Yeah, I want, I wanted to make with bluff. I wanted to kind of have a throwback to that era of filmmaking, but make it contemporary for modern modern audiences. Mm. You know, what are the things about the, those genre, that genre, and those um, those films that make them so special? But how can we 
um, let's make it sing to modern audiences. So that's mm. what I kind of want to do with Bluff, you know. And I hope right. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely did a good job. Definitely did a good job, man. So be definitely be proud of it. So Thank yeah, you. congratulations, man. And hey, once you've got the new project, make sure you stop by and have a conversation. All right. You might have to wait a while, unfortunately, Kevin. The industry's <laughs> tough. Hey, no worries, yeah. man. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> All okay. right. Thank you for your time. Real appreciate it. Take care. All right, man. Peace. Okay, people. So there you go. There you go. Great conversation, right? Now, if you um yeah didn't check the review, there's a link in the episode information. You can check that out. And yo, yeah, go check Bluff out. It's on Prime Video, right? So no excuses. You know what I mean? So yeah, and although that's fire, we still ain't done. So. Remember, hit the link in the episode information and you can go check out part three. Also, part one, don't forget that, all right? So, we will see you for our, the last part of this trilogy of episodes, all right, people? So, see you in a bit.